1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and welcome to the show. And today in the UK, the clocks went back and. Fulham it looks like we're going back in one direction only as well a 2-1 defeat to Crystal Palace and it's one point from our opening six games after some positive games against Wolves and Sheffield United we all went into this one full of hope there was even optimism in the Fulhamish WhatsApp group on Saturday mornings with people like Don Betts and Cam Ramsey saying they expected Fulham to get a win today and Fulham very much didn't live up to expectations all the fallout from yesterday's game as once again we fail in a London derby, and I'm joined by Adam Carson, Evening, Sammy. Isabel Barker. Hey Sammy. And keeping up the tradition of putting annoying names into the recording system that we use, Wilfred Jaha, (laughs) a.k.a. Ben Jarman. How you doing? Hello, mate. I'm good. It's nice
2: to be back. It's been a long while.
1: It has indeed. Well, um, I'm glad to see that you've uh, kept up what Farrell and Drew started in the last podcast by putting annoying names into the system. (laughs) Um, If I call you Wilfred at any point during the podcast, you will know why. I'll take Um, it. (laughs) Adam, uh, what were the three word reviews that came through yesterday? I know that you were looking after the Twitter yesterday, so uh, you got to see them all stream in super fast as always once there's a uh, once a defeat.
3: Yeah, it's always a busy day when we lose on the Twitter. Um, so we start off with a couple related to our old boss. We've got um, General Sportman with Humbled by Hodgson. Uh, we've got Josh Wickham with Roy Beats Boy, and <laughs> <laughs> that's we, great. Which I yeah. think we'll come on to. We've got uh, Dan Winter with Red as a decision. Um, yeah. and then we've got w- Will Greenlau with Day Zahavu. Nice.
1: Well, lots to get through in the pod today. Uh, and Ben, I want to start off with you by talking about Scott's lineup. Um, yep. out went, out went Cav. That was no real surprise after his really poor performance against Sheffield United. In came Lamina, not the first person I'd have thought that would have, would have come in. It kind of then meant Loftus-Cheek went out to, to right wing and
2: didn't really work for me. What about you? Um, No, I don't think it really worked for me as as well. I think what he was trying to do is play a double pivot of Anguissa and Lamina and try and shield that back four as much as possible. I think by that stretch he was then trying to get the wing-backs involved in play and I think ultimately what he was trying to do is make Tom Kearney's influence on the game uh, a little bit larger than it has been in previous games. I think he was trying to incorporate a number 10 into the formation uh, and then obviously trying to get people in and around Mitrovic but I don't necessarily think that worked and I think uh one of the points I wanted to make later on in the podcast but I might as well make it now is I don't think this number 10 role is going to work for Fulham in the short term I don't think that there's enough dynamism in in that in that number 10 role in the shape of Tom Kane at the moment that's going to make a difference in games where we're going to need to pick up points can Loftus-Cheek do that role I personally think he can, and I was going to say that if there's going to be any change uh, in that number 10 role, I think Loftus-Cheek actually suits it a bit more. He's more dynamic, there's more strength on the ball, and I think he's more willing to run into spaces than, than TC is at the moment. Mm.
1: Um, Isabel, it was a disappointing performance. I know that you spoke to Scott Worrell, certainly in the press conference afterwards, and um He's looking more and more downbeat every week. He's looking more and more like a beaten man and keeps saying quotes like, I don't know if I'll get time to fix it and stuff. It's, it's a pretty dark place for him right now and less than three months after probably the happiest game of his life. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it is a, a sad sight. And I think he he's being very realistic and very open about his future. And we're, what we're only six games in, like that's a really worrying sign. And I think he knows the clock is ticking. He literally said, by the time Fulham find their form, it might not be long enough for me. Um, but I, I, I think... Um, you know, we kind of need a reality check. We aren't this huge brand like Man United or Everton, where they landed Carlo Ancelotti. Like we're not going to get this glitzy saviour manager to come in. So I think, as fans, we need to be patient. And I think, I think it would be catastrophic to to get rid of Scott Parker so soon.
1: Yeah, I actually fully agree on this one. Um, I really think that there's lots of questions come in today about, is it time for Parker? We'll get on to some of those. But my personal opinion right now, my automatic hunch is, please, let's not make the same mistake as 18-19. Please, let's yeah. hold on to a manager longer than six, seven games, even if the West Brom game goes badly. Maybe my maybe my tune will change depending on quite how badly that goes. But I really think we need to back Scott. Um, what did you make of the game yesterday, well?
0: Um, well, we had, we had that five minutes where we've, we've had this before where we play like Barcelona. We have this eye-watering amount of possession. I think it was like 98% possession or something in the first five minutes. And then we have absolutely nothing to show for it. It's like all smoke, no cigar. I'm really bad at saying, I'm not sure if that's the saying, but, um, like we we hold on to the pool and we kind of fall into the opposition's trap where in this case Palace kind of sort of sat back and allowed us to kind of fall into this trap and our full backs are really high and, and as soon as the ball fell to Zaha like he just caused a major headache for us like as predictable as it was and and this kind of pretty pass pass it to death team that Parker has like was was pleasing on the eye but it was just ugly to death in the boxes and sometimes I like our play for me just screams like get it hit it out the box like hoof it out the box and and when it was ugly in our box like Palace just took their chances to show and they showed mm. why they're in the Premier League.
2: For me it felt like they're, like we've seen this movie time and time again where Fulham take a hell of a lot of passes and we fall into traps that are just set by other teams I think Palace just outpalaced us this weekend. It was a typical Roy Hodgson performance, two very low bangs of four that were going to block whatever Fulham came up with. And there was a point where in Scott's post match press conference, where he even said that, you know, that we got through one block too slowly and then there was another block there right in front of us. So I felt like it was really naive from Fulham again for probably the sixth match of this season.
1: Well, this brings me on to my next point, Jams, because I don't know if you guys remember this. It was Saturday, the 11th of August, 2018. I went to this game at Craven Cottage and it was really reminiscent of um, yesterday's game. It was Fulham nil, Crystal Palace two. And um, they scored a goal in either <laughs> half. Zaha scored in the second half. Um, and Fulham were really good in that game. We, uh, we, we had 66% possession and we looked like we were on top for the whole game. And yet Palace produced a really professional performance. I believe Scott Parker would have been in attendance of that game because he'd have been on the coaching staff for Fulham and I could see this result coming again. And Adam, it seems that maybe Scott and and his team didn't see it coming again. It was so deja vu. It was, it was quite hard to watch. I just felt like I was transported back, I guess maybe to a better time where at least we could be in the ground and the sun was shining.
3: I, I mean, I agree. I'd love to be in the ground, but it's, it does feel like we're watching the same game, Every game this season, as well, like it's very similar to the Palace game last season. But effectively, all teams have to do to beat Fulham is it sounds simple, but absorb pressure and break effectively on us, and you know take advantage of our mistakes because we are going to make them. Most teams in this league who have stayed here can do that effectively, and it seems that Fulham are one of the teams that can't do that. You know, we make the mistakes to give teams. Um, chances, But we don't seem to ever be the people that can actually absorb pressure and just break on other teams. We seem to be slowing our build up and just allow teams to break and score.
1: Yeah, I mean, Jams, that first goal was just, I mean, for, I think that's um, Jaro Riedewald's first ever shot for Palace. And um, it's ended up in the back <laughs> of our net. I mean, it was just so I just saw it coming. And actually what I saw coming more was the second goal. As soon as the second half started, I was like, Fulham are gonna lose this 2-0. Okay, in the end it was 2-1. But the whole game was just like it was like reading a book or maybe what it was like watching a film that you've seen five times before. Yeah. Like it was just you knew every plot twist that was about to come.
2: Yeah, I mean, in the opening in the opening five minutes, obviously Fulham had all of the ball. And all the commentators are on uh, on the stream that I was watching were basically saying that You know, it's been such a great start from Fulham. They've shown real intent with the ball. They're passing it well. They're keeping it well. And then Palace went down the other end, pounced on one mistake. You know, they played Zaha in an area where they knew Ola Aina was going to go up the line and try and get involved in the attack. They put the ball directly in that area. One shot from Zaha. The back line doesn't come up quick enough. And then Riedewald, who's played for Palace for four years uh, and has never scored for them. Uh, Yeah, and as you say, he's never had a shot in anger until today, scores against Fulham. And for me, I think there's one fundamental mistake in that. Well, two actually. Firstly, as I said, that the back line doesn't get up quick enough. Secondly, uh, the number 10 for Fulham, who's a a man called Thomas Kearney, didn't didn't track his runner. Um, And it's so... I cannot physically describe how exhausted it makes me feel when I see Tom Kearney pointing out a runner that's running across the front of his body time and time again. I don't know if he was ever told, just go with the runner. Don't point, like In that split second, he hasn't got a chance to point the runner for the centre-half to figure out what he's trying to communicate and then the centre-half to act on it. Just go with him. It would have prevented that first goal, in my opinion, or it would have put more pressure on him to... To, for uh, Areola to make a save and then the second goal as you say uh, there's another another player uh, for Fulham uh, also as number 10 also called Tom Kenny that didn't track Michi <laughs> Batswai for that second goal again he points him out again he sees the run coming and it, it doesn't it, uh, and he didn't do anything about it and that's where there is some frustration obviously we know he scored a a, a howitzer of a goal in a 95th minute it's nice to see him do that but there's got to be two sides to, to every midfielder's game and I think that's why we may see TC fizzle out of the game. I, firstly, I don't think there's room for a number 10 in the Premier League anymore. And secondly, I think that he doesn't add the dynamism that we need both in both ways of the pitch.
1: But see Isabel there's such a debate over Tom Kearney and and I know um, one of our own writers Marco uh, wrote a piece and he didn't really say that much bad about Tom Kearney in my opinion but he just said that he spent the Sheffield United game passing it sideways and I look at some on Twitter who seem to think that Kearney is always having a great game and then I look at some on Twitter who you know chastise Kearney probably would still would if he scored a hat trick and set up four more like there's this real strong feeling on either side about Kearney and I don't really know what to think of him because he does pass the ball and stroke it around beautifully and and yesterday actually I thought he especially towards the end of the match he looked like the most likely to cause them problems and he has magic feet in the box and could have maybe got himself a chance earlier in the game if, if things fell his way. So what is the solution with Tom Kearney? Is it to, to take him out of the squad? Is it to find him a better role? He also is changing role week on week. It, against in, in the last couple of games, he was playing a more kind of mm. holding back position. And then against Palace, he played like a number 10. It's it, it can't be easy for him to keep chopping and changing his position and what he's expected to do.
0: Yeah, I I just think I think take him out if I'm honest. I don't he couldn't break us down with any of his passing. He virtually injected no kind of um like his his creativity that he's maybe known for or play those kind of through balls going forward. I feel like he struggled to pick out a pass going forward. There was kind of this lack of Like, not all the blame is on him. There was this lack of attacking cohesion anyway, bar lookman. He was unable to kind of drive anything forward to the attacking players, um, who also looked a bit dumbfounded as to what what to actually do with the ball going forward. And so it's not just his fault. But can I just say on the Kenny point, but I'm actually just so angry with how he's behaved after the game, like off the pitch. Like, he's our captain again. Like, like, yeah, we're talking about his role, but also he's our captain, and he all he's done is repost a video of his, of his own goal that he scored and not address a single other thing that went catastrophically wrong. he's also just recently reposted a picture of himself from the Premier League Instagram page, a picture of just him about to score in the game, like like you're on some kind of self promotion journey, like we need answers like your teammates need answers, like it's not all the blames on him. I'm angry, no player has like come out or um, led by him to publicly kind of address what the hell is going on. Like we need a Troy Deeney or a Mark Noble to kind of speak as our captain for the people. Give us answers. Like, like Scott in fairness will kind of answer the hard questions, but Tom Kenny isn't like everyone's cowering away from it. And yeah, I'm just like really, really annoyed by it. (laughs) I think I think you're totally right. And yeah, I, I, I actually
1: hadn't, I'd heard about this Instagram post and I'm just looking at it now. There's nothing in the caption that says, even acknowledging that we lost yesterday. I cannot imagine, right? I'm trying to think of some of some great Premier League captains for, from down the years. I'm thinking Roy Keane. I'm thinking Patrick Vieira, right? Do, I, I mean, yes, they didn't grow up in an age of Instagram. There's no mm. way they would be posting up a great goal that they scored, but their team lost 3-1. Just no way on earth. I mean, what? someone's got to be advising him a little bit better there, Adam. I, I think actually, I, I try not to get annoyed by itty-bitty things like social media posts and what you write in a caption, but come on, that's not captain material to do that.
3: I agree with you totally. Also looking at this, there's several different types of captains you can have. You can have the vocal ones on the pitch, Kearney's not that. You can have the ones that lead by example. And, you know, that's constantly looking forward, you know, taking the risks for those passes. Kearney hasn't been that recently. And then you've got the ones that will always speak out after the game or, you know, speak to their teammates when the manager's not around. I saw an interview with Harry Winks this week where he was saying, you know, after they conceded their last minute equaliser to West Ham, Mourinho didn't even speak to the players. It's because he knows that he's got a captain in Harry Kane and he's got other players that will speak up and say that's just not acceptable. I don't think we have that, Fulham, you know, with Kevin McDonald not even in the squad. Tom Kenny has to lead by speaking in the dressing room, speaking afterwards, saying it's not acceptable. But otherwise, what he's effectively doing is saying, cool, we'll just be Worldies FC, go and score a great (laughs) goal, put it on Instagram, and it doesn't matter what the end result is. You'll get picked up in January or end of the season by someone else just because your highlight's real.
1: Yeah, I mean... Let's let's move on from from the Tom Kearney debate and a few more moments from the game. Now, Ben, we can say that we were schooled by Hodgson and we were to a point, but there were some positives to take. Our general approach play yesterday was was very, very nice. We controlled the ball very, very well. And part of me does think that ultimately this season, we don't need to finish 10th. We don't need to be in the playoffs like we did last season. And every game you lose, you think, God, we're never going to make it. We ultimately need to be better than three teams. If we do play in parts like we did yesterday throughout the season, we will win some games and we could be competitive towards the bottom three and also you cannot account for Lookman hitting the post like he did and Mitro missing massive chances like he did as well as many negatives as there were yesterday and there were plenty there also has to be some positivity to take from this game and 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 also realizing that I still think we're a better outfit than we were two years ago
2: I do think there are definitely some green shoots in there you have to look at Adamola Ola Lookman uh, for the brightest spark that we're probably going to get there because I, you know on the Tyler Adams uh, interview that uh, that Jack managed to get um he says that Lukeman is the best uh, one-on-one player he's ever played against or, or ever played with and i think that that does ring true he looked so good yesterday uh, and he gave us an, an impetus that none of the other wingers really can and i think when you ha- when you think about the premier league it is all about raw pace and uh, and lukeman has that in abundance and he's going to be that kind of guy that's that cuts through the lines and that when teams come to play against Fulham and they play that low block like Palace did. He's going to be a guy that's going to cut through them lines uh, and shoot on sight. And I think that's what, what's needed. I think there's too much of Fulham that's ingrained in trying to pass and, and find little avenues around the box. That sort of feels like a, a hangover from Martin yole, but so almost certainly can't be. But I, I do wish we played with a little bit more in, in, incisiveness. And BBC say that in their match report uh, that you know we had all of these passes. And we do nothing with it. We're not incisive enough in that final third, and I think that Lukman definitely gives us that. And I think that someone that like RLC can also also give us that. Uh, I mean, getting almost 600 passes before we score a goal is not good enough. So we we are going to need some emphasis there. And I think uh, at, at centre half, we've looked although we've conceded a couple of goals there. I think there's there's some green shoots uh, of optimism there. I think Adarabaya looks good, and I think uh, in 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 some Instances that Robinson has also looked really, really good. Um, I mean, he's keeping Joe Bryan outside at the moment. And to be honest with you, I thought that we'd probably play a back five with Robinson and Bryan down the left hand side at some point for the majority of this season.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of surprised we haven't done that as well. But I think it's the point that um, Joe Sanson made in the last podcast that when you've got Lookman at left wing, um, and that's clearly his best position. Trying to fit Robinson, Brian and Lookman on the left wing is there's not enough places really. And it's it's Brian that's missing out at the moment. If only you could somehow put Joe Brian's left foot on his right. Um, we might yeah. have a few solutions there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, we've got it. Kenny Tete, when he comes well, back. I, when, when Tete's back, I think we will get a little bit more out of that right-hand side. I, I like I like Olayna, but I don't think he's on the level that Tete is
1: no and and against Zaha yesterday he had a pretty tough match.
2: It is zaha though, and that's the thing you you've got I think zaha is a p- epitome of the the Premier League wide play you know someone that doesn't do a lot for a, 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 the game but then can absolutely devastate you with one on one pace and and he definitely knows how to finish
1: yeah um Adam, let's talk about Mitro. This was supposed to be the game that Scott Parker said he'll dust himself down and uh, make amends for what happened in Sheffield. Didn't really happen for him, but also he didn't get the best service, did he?
3: No, I don't. I, I was expecting a lot from Mitrovic in this game. And I think the whole Fulham team were looking towards him from the start of the game. Uh, we've, we, we've always been playing this role as Mitrovic is the talisman. Let's pass the ball into Mitrovic and everything will kind of come through him but he wasn't really able to hold up the ball and I said in my half-time thoughts as well he looks low on confidence but that's not helped when he has you know three four touches that actually are anything meaningful and they just bounce off him it's only going to get worse and worse I think now the problem is is now um Lukman seems to be that player we're now like pass it to him and let him do it Mitrovic is probably feeling that he's going to get less chances if anything to have an impact on a game Uh, But I think to be a real threat in the Premier League, we need all of our front four to be effective. It's not just Mitrovic. It's not just Luckman. It's not just Ruben Loftus-Cheek. They're all going to have to work as a cohesive unit. And when uh, Mitrovic is this low on confidence, I would, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I would consider resting him for a game to see, can we try something different? Because every team seems to have worked us out already.
1: Okay, well, I was going to bring this up later, but as you've mentioned it, Adam, had this question in from Elijah at Cough of Reason 10. Is it time to abandon the Mitrovic talisman mentality? We've been clearly sussed out from match day one and we clearly need another striker or a different formation that isn't centred so much around Mitro. Now, is it? I know that Mitro hasn't been that happy in recent weeks and, and I know you've kind of got a bit of an inside
0: line on all of this yeah so um he's apparently in training parker makes them run like absolute dogs and um he's frustrated with the amount of running he's had to do probably in the midst of what he's been doing on international duty um playing a lot of games over a short space of time i'm sure it's all kind of built up um so he's he's kind of brought he's requested a new sort of separate five-day training plan with a separate kind of um away from the club. Um, but also kind of recently I've heard that he's he's getting really frustrated with the lack of service to him. I think maybe that touches on um Adam's point that um now Lookman's there, that maybe he's thinking, oh gosh, like I'm I'm not fully in the limelight and he's yeah, he's getting frustrated with the service coming into him. But I think he's just having a little blip at the moment and he'll come to save our skins in many games to come as as he has done before.
1: Yeah, I mean, you. I, I do agree with Elijah. Like people have realised that there is a way to to mark Mitrovic out the game, and unfortunately now we do have Lookman, so at least people have two attacking threats to, to worry about, and not just keep Mitro quiet. And you'll and you'll probably do all right, but. Yeah, and and it goes back a lot to what we said at the playoffs. Like sometimes Fulham as a team can play better without Mitrovic, but at this level, and when, when chances are so few and far between, we do need Mitro to be in there taking some of them. Although I believe our kind of um, chances to goals ratio is the highest in the league, so uh, that's that tactics maybe not working all that well at the moment. And is he obviously um, Parker's substitutions were a bit odd. Um, I thought that it was a bit strange to to bring off um, Anguisa, particularly for Kamara after 66 minutes. And and we all know how that one ended.
0: Yeah. I like that. I know I, I don't like to kind of harper back to this whole, like, Oh, Scott Parker's not experienced enough that people keep seem to saying like, but in his substitutions, I think that is an area that worries me. Like they, his choices seem very sporadic. Like, like, so he bought, Kamara on, am I right? In like the 66th minute, was it around yep, then? Yeah,
1: yeah, spot on. Yep.
0: And we used to get Kamara on with like 10 minutes to go, and sometimes, like, boy, he would make a difference. But with 66 minutes, and then taking Angisa off, it just obviously Kamara ends up getting sent off, but it just left us wide open, and people could, and, and Palace could just carve us out. um luckily Harrison Reed kind of came on I think shortly after that kind of filled that void but um yeah I I really question the timing of the substitutions and also um taking Angheiser off and I I would have said take Lamina off first but yeah yeah I'm scratching my head a bit with those ones
1: it, it feels a bit like classic Parker Ben from last season I mean, and uh, I know that uh, yourself and Jack always go on about that that Charlton game where mm. it was just football manager like from 2002 days it was just take off defenders and put them up front and hopefully if you have more attackers than defenders that you'll somehow equalize and it's not quite this extreme as that game but it's a little bit isn't it right I'm going to take off my defensive midfielder and put on a right winger
2: (laughs) yeah it is a little bit like that I I think you're spot on it is a little bit sort of like let's try and overload as much as we can and hope we get a goal back. Um, I do feel like sometimes Parker is a little bit naive with with his substitutions, but if if we say naive many more times on this podcast, then I think we'll we'll run out of patience. But I I do think that, that there's still a, a massive potential in Parker, and that if we were to get rid of him, that it'd be a mistake because he, he's got the team up. Um, I, I do think he's unfortunately got a squad that is incredibly ill-balanced um, and, and in a lot of areas lacks a lot of quality. And uh, I mean, I do think, uh, I totally agree with Izzy, that bringing off um, Angisa, um before Lamina was was a bad move um, and, and putting on Kamara, probably not the best move. And I you know when that happens, you kind of sit there and think, well, we're not going to get it back to two all here we're probably going to lose like three or four nil and i think i actually put that in the whatsapp so yeah that sums up my feelings on that one
1: And um, ben i've just gone on thesaurus.com would you like some um synonyms for naive
2: please because i you know people just play jam and bingo with me every single episode so i do need new stuff <laughs> uh you can
1: say wide-eyed you can say unsophisticated. I mean, I'm going to say some words now that I don't even know are right, but jejun, um,
2: <laughs> guileless. Yeah. Okay, guileless is quite a nice one. Yeah, that's I like nice. that. I'm going I'm I'm to use that.
1: I challenge you for your next pod to get jejun in, I, whatever <laughs> that whatever that means. I mean, Izzy's the journalist, so I'm sure she can find a way of uh, of squeezing it in. I work the for sentence. the
0: Sun. I'm not going to be using that word. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i love that you can, al-
1: you can always try uh, i will look i will read your next articles this week in anticipation of the word jejeune". um okay right we're going to take a little bit of a break we've got loads of questions to get through so i think now's a good time to get into those if you're looking for an awesome fulhamish gift or maybe some clubber for yourself we've got a great range of fulham and fulhamish merch like t-shirts mugs and posters with all proceeds going towards the future running of fulhamish check it out at fulhamish.co.uk forward slash shop Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here. I'm joined by Adam Carson. Hello. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. And Isabel Barker. Hello. Next week's pod, uh, we have a really exciting announcement. I mentioned it last week. I'm going to mention it again. I just can't tell you what it is right now, but you will find out everything. It should be out on Thursday. Really exciting, full mission announcement. We're really excited to tell you and uh, only great things for you guys as listeners. Our real trusted listeners who we love to pieces and we're going to be making things bigger and better and that's going to be revealed on Thursday's podcast. So there's a little tease for you all. Let's get into some of the questions Questions that came through there were absolutely loads um i think there is zero percent chance i can get through all of them but i will certainly try my best so we'll make we'll, we'll make our answers nice and quick yeah. uh, first one from will lyon on uh the kofi backers facebook page uh he said all right lads here is my question i posed to the pod if the club were to part ways with scott at this stage of the season genuinely do we really feel that our fortunes would change um adam i'll start with you
3: I don't, know. I don't. I, I. think that, the as Ben's mentioned, the squad is fairly unbalanced and you've got the fact that you're still trying to integrate a lot of new players that came in towards the end of the transfer window. Uh, it doesn't mean that, you know, some of the names that have been mentioned wouldn't have long-term success with Fulham, but I don't think our fortunes would change for the next six, seven weeks at all. I think that you have to stick with what we have um, in Parker and hope that you can get this squad to come together and see some long-term benefits. We saw with Slav Well, we we obviously weren't able to see, but I do think that if we had seen him for the entire season, we would have got relegated in probably the same way and come just as close to escaping
1: yeah exactly yeah there's no way i think you could have done worse than what happened afterwards whether he'd have kept us up don't know yeah. um will actually did give his opinion here so i feel like i should read it he says my vote is stick with him for better or worse he loves the club the players love him and i would rather stick with someone who wants the job rather than someone who takes the role for pounds he then goes on saying also expecting to get slammed with all the Parker out brigade, so all good Will, at least you know what's coming. Uh, Right, so um, let's go on to uh, Branson Gibson. Uh, Izzy, I'll put this one to you. Is Tim Ream suddenly good?
0: Uh, Yeah, like I do feel at times he was the only one kind of saving our bacon and it was definitely um, Palace, particularly Zaha, just is a player that highlights individuals' problems. And I think the main individuals that were problematic defensively at Palace was against Palace was Aina and Bayoyo. So maybe, and he was obviously our deepest line player coming back. But uh, I think it's a whole unit. Like I wouldn't want to pay, put, pin the blame on him anyway for for poor defensive mistakes. Or but I don't think he was particularly like a shining glimmer of hope. But um, I think it was defensively poor co- cohesion anyway. Um, Right,
1: Ben, going to come to you on this one. This is another Parker one um, from Colm McNabola. Uh, Is the West Brom game Scott's last chance to save his job or will the Canes see sense and keep him for the long term regardless of relegation? So I guess Will's question is, should we get rid of Scott? And Colm's question is, will we get rid of Scott? And I think they're two very different questions.
2: Yeah, I think they are too. Obviously, I I can't really speak for the Canes. But I think that they're invested in Scott and I, I don't think I've seen the Khans invested in a manager as much as I have in Scott. They've continuously, continually backed him. And I think there are plenty of times last season when they could have actually got gotten rid of Scott uh, and gone for a, a, another alternative and they have stuck with him and they've backed him through the summer, albeit with a squad that is, I would say, incredibly hastily d- assembled. Uh, and as I said a couple of minutes ago, very, very imbalanced. And I think that's probably as a result of having a director of football that's eye isn't consistently on the ball. Um, but I feel like, um, I don't think they'll get rid of him. They gave him a three-year contract before the start of the season. And I think they know that they've got a young manager there who um, has a long road ahead of him in in management, whether that's in the Premier League championship or, or otherwise. And I think that they'd be silly to get rid of him. I, I feel like if they did get rid of him, that there's disharmony in the squad would be quite, large or quite sizable and I think that Scott is a kind of manager that will pull people together and you will start to see results coming out of the team Uh, it may take a few weeks and we know we've got a really hard run to come but you know you pick up a draw here and there against the top six team and it can start giving you some momentum so I'm not sure that they will get rid of him
1: um speaking of our run this question's from dave m um adam uh, he says with west brom next weekend we then face west ham away everton at home leicester away man city away and liverpool at home damn can you realistically see us getting any more than three points with parker in charge
3: i i, I don't i think we could take the with parker in charge bit out of that can i see us realistically getting in more than three points maybe four um, but like it's, it's going to be a very <laughs> difficult run. I think probably the most important thing is we do get definitely some points, ideally three against West Brom. But after that, just don't get absolutely hammered by any of those teams. You know, If it is about squad cohesion, you need to be moving into the Christmas period in a way that we have some kind of confidence that we can stay up. Um, I think we need to pick up the odd point and have a bit of steel to us, which isn't something that we've seen from Fulham uh, of late. And I I think that, you know, looking at the the job that Palace did on us, we can take some serious lessons there um, in actually how to set up our team to be able to absorb a little bit of pressure, especially in some of those tough games that we have coming up after West Brom.
1: I'm clutching at straws a little bit here, but I wonder if we may be a bit better away from home this season. I mean, looking at the evidence of this season so far, certainly the games we have played away from home, we've been much better than the games at home obviously winning against West Brom is vital but again with my optimistic hat on there might be just a couple of games there where we might nick a point or or play better than we expect and and I think we played quite well away from home last season as well okay yes there was a couple of glaring games where it didn't go so right for us but mostly away from home, we were fine. It tended to be at home that we embarrassed ourselves. So that's, um, that's my hope going forward. Um, next question I'm going to pick up actually on this one. This is from Tom Greatrix, who is friend of the pod. And he says, is pay-per-view getting binned? And there's a really interesting article in the mirror. And I don't say that that often, um, came out this morning and it was all about how Sky and BT are trying to distance themselves from the pay-per-view decision and and putting it on the Premier League. And whilst I'm not one to normally um, cozy up with the, the TV broadcasting giants, I actually think this might be the case on this one. And I think if you've got someone that you need to blame about pay-per-view, it's it can only be the Premier League and the Premier League teams. And I, I think the broadcasters are in a really tough position where they can't really go against the Premier League. They've got... Future contracts to win. There's only so much bad blood they can say about them in the press. Uh, otherwise, they'll completely risk losing their Premier League rights, which is what their entire business model um, centres around. Uh, obviously, uh, you may have seen the news that um, no Fulham games have been selected for TV in November. So it looks like another three games at least of pay-per-view if nothing changes. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And I know when Tom was on the podcast a few weeks ago that we did about pay-per-view and um, definitely go have a listen to that if you haven't already. Most of it's still pretty pertinent. Um, He did say that in his opinion, he reckons that something will change after the next round of games. So there was the kind of three games that were put for pay-per-view. He was like, that won't change now. It's kind of all set in stone and decided. I think before the West Ham game... We may see some change of approach, whether that's just a lower price, whether that's getting rid of pay-per-view altogether, whether that's some crazy over-the-top system that, that as in the name, not over-the-top um, system that they've created in a few weeks. I don't know, but I think there's certainly some rumors going around. And uh, yeah, that article that about Sky and BT distancing themselves from it is uh, is a really, really interesting one. Um Jarms, I'll come to you in this one. Uh, Ross McSweeney says, at what point do we worry about the points record? I assume he's talking about Derby counties uh, and, and not Man City's.
2: Uh, now? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think, I think now um, it's looking increasingly unlikely that we're going to get a, a huge amount of points out of our next games. And I think that's up until like Midway through December, isn't it? So, if you don't, I think if we don't go into the Christmas period with about six points, I think we're really up against it for the second oh, half absolutely. of the year. I know, and I know we're laughing, but well, I am, you're not, but um, yeah, that sounded
0: like quite a pained laugh, though.
2: Yeah, it, it really was. I, yeah, <laughs> it's sort of like masking my inner sadness. I'm like, you know, that um, when that reporter asked a little boy if he's okay, and he's like, yeah, no. and then he starts crying, that's how I feel right now. <laughs>
1: Oh. I mean, it could it could go that way, couldn't it as well? I mean, you're looking at it, and each game coming up, and thinking, I don't know if we're going to get any points from that. I don't know if we're going to get any points from that. And I, I feel like every other team in the Premier League has the ability to get a win here or there. Or even Shocker team, even Sheffield United. I watched them at Anfield yesterday. And I thought they could they could get something here. And obviously, they had a late penalty saved. And, and I just could never see us going up to Anfield and and maybe getting a point like they probably should have yesterday.
0: I know what you mean, but I think from from the games at the weekend, when most recently Southampton beating Everton, I, it made me kind of really reflect and think like this time last year, they were a team that was in the gutter. They were humiliated by a 9-0 loss at the ha- uh, um, against Leicester, I think. And But they stuck with their manager. They stuck with him because they knew they were on the brink of building something. And, and that's exactly what they did. And I think that's that kind of gives me a tiny bit of hope that... Um, we can get some points and and we are on the brink of building something with, with the quality of players that we do have. We just need that cohesion and consistency.
1: Yeah. Um, Jarms, one for you I think and this one's from Alex Pure Power is our mm. main problem that the players are being poorly drilled I think we have the lowest distance covered in the league in brackets he says we did at one stage anyway we still move the ball so slowly that counter-attacking just isn't an option we still rely on screamers or individual quality to score and I think Alex is absolutely spot on with that analysis
2: no I do too I, I think Alex is is bang on I think at in the final third, Fulham are absolutely devoid of ideas other than getting the ball into Mitrovic as early as we can. And I think we've seen that a lot of times now. It's up to the individual brilliance of, of a few players to really try and drag Fulham back into a game. We saw it this weekend. Obviously, TC scored a really nice goal. Um, you have the two shots from Luckman. And then uh, you obviously have the, the miss from Mitrovic. But other than that, I don't think I've seen Fulham look really, really good in the final third. I would probably argue for the whole of Scott's reign. I think we've really looked a little bit clueless in some points. I don't. I think we've really lost the the uh, the overla- the overlapping aspect of our game that we used to have. I think we've really really lost sort of like any sort of quick passes around that final third. And if you look in the Premier League, the way that you hurt teams is by quick movement, quick ball in that final third, getting in behind the spaces, quick movement. You know. Uh, and I think Fulham are absolutely lacking that in all areas of that final phase at the moment. And that's why I sort of, going back to my original point at the start of the podcast, I think that's why we may see the fizzle, like the phasing out of Tom Kearney for like a Loftus-Cheek because I think he's going to be able to do that a little bit quicker than TC is.
1: Yeah, I was just having a think about this. What's the last Fulham goal you remember that was, I don't know, some good build up play, just like a traditional goal that you get in football. It wasn't because I'm thinking even back to the playoffs. I mean, obviously it was good build up play, I guess for Joe Bryan's second kind of weird circumstances. The first goal was, was a free kick worldie. in the playoffs. Again, it was a free kick and an amazing run from Josh Onoma. I mean, and, and certainly I can't really remember too many this season. Maybe actually a couple in the Leeds game that were just nice crosses into the box and someone headed it in. But Adam, it does feel just like more often than not, we are relying still on individual bits of quality.
3: We are. I mean, all of our goals, we're Worldies FC. The reason is, is because <laughs> we are consistently relying on just moments of brilliance rather than consistent pressure paying off. And we, we have we have the ability to enact our pressure on teams you know we are always dominating possession as you say we're always having these passes we've got a really high pass success rate but A pass success rate does not give you goals as part of it. I would quite happily take from our 89% pass success rate and take it down to a, a 70 or a 65 if we were actually just taking the risks to be able to play like we used to in a lot of ways. I think some of that has been hampered by the change in personnel consistently. So you did start the season with Joe Bryan at left back. You've had Robinson come in and he's done really well and he does push forward. You've got Aina who is pushing forward, but at the same time, you know, the the quality that Kenny Tesse had to be able to play those interplay passes and then get across straight into the box. It was a little bit, well, a lot less predictable than what we're seeing at the moment where the ball will go out to one of our fullbacks. It will get passed back in. Probably Lookman will pick it up, run in field, try and pass it into Mitrovic. I think he's the only person that I've noticed in the last couple of weeks that seems to look forward and take that risk.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, Isabel, quite a lot of the questions coming in are still... I feel like the fan base is still trying to work out who they want to blame, whether they want to blame Parker for what's going on or whether they want to blame Tony Khan for the recruitment in the summer. At the moment, what's your kind of feeling of where the shift of blame is is lying? Quite clearly, we made massive re- mistakes in the summer with recruitment. But obviously, Parker's the one that puts the team on the pitch every, every week. So I just wanted to get your opinions on where you feel like I don't know that the the kind of responsibility should be should be mm. lying at the moment.
0: Well, I'm I'm so against putting all this blame on Scott Parker right now. As I was saying in an earlier point, I'm so bored of this whole. Oh, he's inexperienced. Blah blah. blah. You know, he's fully aware of the situation he's in. Like people weren't saying he was inexperienced when in the playoff final. Like it's just everyone's so fickle. And I don't. And, and um, I think he really hasn't been helped out by. As he was saying, in his opinion, taking um, Fulham to, you know, at Wembley, then going literally two weeks pre-season, then playing against Arsenal in the most ruthless division in the world, possibly. And then hasn't been helped by um, maybe not just Tony Khan, maybe his team of recruitment. Well, like, I'm a bit unsure about what that actually is. But like, he hasn't been helped by this kind of shambolic, late Signings, late signings, and and people failing medicals, like that's been so shambolic, and that hasn't that doesn't help him at all. And I really don't think it's oh Scott Parker's so young and and naive, and he doesn't get it. Like it's not just him, and and but I'm kind kind of so bored of banging the drum of oh get the cons out. So it's he Scott Parker hasn't been helped by the factors that I outlined then, and it's just about gelling and going forward and getting those new faces kind of um fitting into the team now.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, one question. Actually, no, two more questions. But this is the last uh, serious question. Uh, I'll go to Jams on this one. Um, is it time to abandon four-three-three with most of our wingers gone out of form or out of depth, and with Metro looking increasingly isolated? Um, I don't want to be all Mike Bassett four-four-two here, Ben. But mm. I mean. Right now I honestly wonder whether it would actually do us some good. Like I mean it would at least get Mitro more into the game. I'm sure you would cause yourself like countless other problems particularly in the midfield if you ever decided to go 4-4-2. But we are cont- how long does this formation get before maybe Parker has to realize I need to try something else?
2: Yeah, I th- I think you make a great great point there and I, I, I to be honest I think it's just the the if we're looking at an overall football point of view, and I think it's just the death of the number ten, and and Fulham seem absolutely hell bent on trying to f- put a number ten into whatever formation they play, uh, and I, I don't think it's working for us at the moment. You need to be quicker on the transitions, and Fulham aren't that. Um, and I feel like there are points in every single part, aspect of Fulham's game where we're slowing ourselves down um, because we're trying to look for passes through the third when. I know you look at someone like Palace, they get from front to back in incredibly quick timing. And obviously it helps having someone like Zaha, for example. But you again, you look at Tottenham, Tottenham can go from front to back incredibly quickly, and games are one on transition now. And Fulham is so slow through a transition that I think it is time for us to sort of give up on this. Almost I, I don't I wouldn't say it's a four-three-three. Actually, I'd probably go for more of like a four-two-three-one. But I feel like when you play a four-two-three-one with a ten that sits as deep as Kenny does, it really starts to isolate Mitrovic. And if you're going to use him as a, as a target man to bring other players in, then I don't think it makes any sense. Um, but I do feel like, yeah, abandoning the four, four, two, three, one and going for another formation would be good. I feel like a two up top will probably suit us better. Just because it gives Mitrovic someone to play off, even if that is Lukman as sort of like a second striker, Alastair Sterling at the 2018 World Cup, go for it. Or, or if you want someone a little bit larger and you go for someone like Ruben Loftus Cheek around him, and you sort of try and work Lukman into those spaces in and around uh, and behind a defence, then go for that too. But I don't think uh, the the four two three one we're trying to employ works at the moment.
1: No, it'd be interesting to see if Mitro could do that kind of. I think I hate when commentators use terms like this, but the nine and a half role that that Kane's been playing a lot at the moment, where he comes deeper and someone like Lookman kind of plays on, on on the on the final on the on the on the shoulder of the final man, and um, you wonder if something like that could work and. I mean, part of me just wonders if you need to stay up, you just got to do everything for this season, kind of throw principles and, you know, the structure and the ideal of the club out the window just to stay up. And then maybe when you've got a longer summer next year, you could try and build an identity back. But
2: um, yeah, honestly, I couldn't, I couldn't care less if we played like Burnley for the rest of the season. Like, yeah, (laughs) it's not great on the eye and yeah, we might have like 180 passes a game, but if we win one nil, then who cares? Like if it yeah. keeps us in a division and then it allows us to, you know, buy more players or implement a mentality next year, then d- does anyone really care?
3: No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm no, I'm not enjoy- keeps us up. I was going to say, I'm not enjoying watch- watching us play anyway, so I don't think yeah. it's gonna get much worse. <laughs> well, Ranieri ball.
1: Yeah. Uh, final, final question. I'll go to all of you on this. This is from Lucas. He says, I feel that there could be a million depressing questions. So what's your favorite color on a cat? Adam, I'll start with you.
3: I personally have to go with a white cat, especially when they have the red, creepy eyes.
1: Oh, that's so gross! Um, why would you do that?
3: It's it's near Halloween, and I think it's good fun to scare the neighbors.
1: <laughs> I imagine like some Bond villain with your beard, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Like... I, I'm
3: I'm effectively the Bond villain of of the Fulhamish podcast.
1: Yeah, a, ta- a, a tank of piranhas ar- around you, um, Isabel. What what colour do you like on a cat?
0: I'd probably go for like a fat ginger cat. <laughs> just yeah. like i like my men <laughs> i'm joking
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow okay
2: uh charms any more bombshells than isabel just gave uh i don't know uh well oh my god um i know lucas actually has a ginger tabby cat so um uh mine's actually a tabby cat too but not ginger just a normal like tortoiseshell tabby is, is my favorite
1: i know nothing about cats but i quite like gray cats so I'll go for Ooh. a grey house cat. Just like a, a, a good solid grey. Lovely. <laughs> is, that bit, is that quite boring cat's taste? I don't know what... That's ta- quite like
0: stylish, I feel. That's nice. Yeah,
2: well, one of them like British it's blue cute. cats. Yeah, they're quite, they're
3: quite spenny. Long oh, are they? As long as yeah, you don't put are. it on a lead, that's all good. Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: that's fine. I mean, I'm the most cliched dog owner because I have a cockapoo, so I probably need to get myself the most cliched cat as well, and then uh, I've got the uh, I've got the full pet family. You need to right. get yourself
2: like a hard man staff like me and Izzy have.
0: Yeah, we've got <laughs> fat dappies. <staffies>.
2: Yeah,
1: <laughs> nah, that's that, that's not that's not me walking around Barnes Common. <laughs> <laughs> right um thank you very much for listening to the pod today um i think that it's been a pretty depressing weekend of football for for fulham so hopefully uh today has made a bit of sense of it and and hopefully put a bit of a smile on your face as well as i say we've got that podcast next week where we've got big special announcements so please do listen out for that one uh you'll be very excited by what we've got to tell you um thank you very much to my guest today adam what are you going to go for for pod name
3: Uh, I think we're going to have to go with Roy Beats Boy. Roy Beats Boy.
1: Thank you very much, Adam, for being on the pod. Cheers, Sammy. Isabel, thank you. Thanks very much, Sammy. Um, If you get DMs from uh, ginger men after this, then you only have yourself to blame. (laughs) And um, Ben Charman, thank you very much.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Sammy. Cheers, all. It's been great.
1: Take care. Have a good start to your week. Come on, you whites.